goes on media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. We're now off to the Bronx to speak to Jose, a Puerto Rican man. He's now happily settled down with his boyfriend. Please be aware, though, that this story is very harrowing and does include details of sexual abuse, exploitation and addiction. It was also recorded in the foyer of the Bronx Art Museum, so you may hear a bit of chit-chat in the background. Yeah, I was definitely not like the other boys. I used to take my mother's clothes and uh, play drag, I guess, when I was six years old. So everybody thought it was funny. Because I would imitate my mother, but deep down inside it felt so comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, but I never really shared that. And as a matter of fact, this is the first time I'm sharing that. Wow, yeah. okay. So did you do it for a few years? Did you really enjoy driving I up? did it for, I would say, a f- more than a few years. This, mm-hmm. was, this was a constant show. Wow, yeah. okay. And did you ever get the sense that, oh, what I'm doing is wrong, or I shouldn't be doing it? Or were you just sort of encouraged? I knew it was wrong in my mother's eyes, my father's eyes. So I kind of made it, I masked, I masked it as a joke, mm. you know, and um, I didn't make it appear like I felt very comfortable doing it. Mm. So it was more like a mocking uh, mm. situation. And I guess that's how I got through it. And then when you got a bit older, did you think, oh, actually, these feelings that I'm having are something bigger? Yeah, so the first time that I really acted out on these feelings, I was about 13 years old, and I was going through these awful newspapers, these nasty old newspapers that I found in the subway, and one of them was called, I don't know if I should mention it, was called Screw Magazine, and it had all kinds of different advertisements in it, but they had one for a group called the Gay and the Young, and this was being held in the church. I was 13 years old. And I decided to call them and just pop in, and I did. So what happened was that I showed up, and I think I was the only 13-year-old. Which church was this? So where were you living at the time? Um, at this time, I was in I was in the city. I was living in Manhattan. I grew up in the Bronx, lived in Manhattan for a while, then we moved back to the Bronx. Okay. Um, so this was off of Second Avenue and like the 30s, 31, 32. 32nd Street, something like that. So it was held in the basement. Oddly enough for me at the time, the priest had a live-in janitor, which was also his boyfriend. And was he out in the church? I don't think he really was, but he was out when he went down to the basement in the youth group, so everybody knew. So they actually put an advert in the paper in New York advertising for gay people to go to a church. Right. It was called the Youth Aid and Advocacy Program. And that's how it was advertised. Unfortunately, they popped up in the news a few years later because it actually ended up being a prostitution ring. So the owners were exploiting the young kids. I went to a few interviews that they wanted me to go to just to have some work after school and some extra cash. And it turned out to be dirty old men. You know, and uh, after my second interview going out, I decided to quit. It wasn't for me. So you saw the abuse firsthand? Yeah, I sure did. Um, I saw the abuse and the progress of of some of the kids that went through their first interview. And uh, a couple of months later, they were in the street living off their their johns, living off the the people that were making money off. Mm, So they were recruiting them to work in the sex industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, They got sued and everything. 
But while you were going through all this, were you telling your parents where you were going, or was this totally secret for you? Absolutely not. During the same period, um, my father was, uh, he was a World War II veteran, and my mother was um, a housewife. They raised nine kids together. My mother was that submissive type, and my father was that militant guy. Okay. And um, at 13, I remember mom was was not feeling well, so I went on ahead and started washing the dishes for her and doing some of the cleaning. I got thrown out at the age of 13. For what? For washing dishes and cleaning the house, which was something men don't do. The women did that. So, wow. uh, yeah. It was really bad because um, there was not a really good transition between the cultures, right? So now we come from Puerto Rico, this machismo kind of attitude that people had there. Um, also, he was a military guy. That militant attitude stayed with him. Also, my mother was the, the subservient, right? So she was the submissive to that. Do you think there was an element of he thought you might be gay and that, that was the reason that he threw you out? Of course. Mm. Yeah, it had to be. Um, this was something that was not accepted. Uh, we were devoted Catholics. I remember growing up, we used to have, we used to um, cater to the priests that used to come in from Spain. So I, growing up, I had a priest in my house sleeping in my bed all the time. So how odd is that? What, in your bed while you were there? In it? Yeah. <laughs> Creepy, right? Exactly. And nothing happened? It was just, uh, that was just the way it was? Not that I can remember, unless if I was drugged or something as a kid, but nothing happened. No. So, how old were you? You were 13 and you're thrown out of the home. Right. How did your mum react? She must have been upset. Um, she reacted the same way she would when my father threw everyone else out the house. She would cry and um, just just go inward. And, um, but she, she wasn't in a position to not let it happen. So, where did you go then at the age of 13 and you're in the Bronx at this stage? Yeah, um, I got a hold of my sister who lived in North Carolina at the time and um, I moved in with her. So at what stage did you actually come out? Because you were thrown out for supposedly just washing dishes, but at what stage did you ever tell your family that you were gay? Um, I never told my mom or my dad. Mm. It was something, I guess, that was just unspoken. It was clear that I didn't have any girlfriends and I didn't have mm. any intentions on having a girlfriend, yeah. but it was unclear exactly what I was because we never spoke about it. So they never asked me, I never said anything. And my mother passed away in 2009 and I never said anything to her at all. Uh, the, the last thing that she said was that I love you, so. And any regrets for not telling her or are you um, just, that's just the way it was, it wasn't gonna change? There was no regrets. Well, I can't say that I don't regret not telling her, but I do regret not telling her what happened to me at five, when I was five years old. Which was? So I was sexually abused at the age of five. And you never told anyone? No, never. Never. And when something like that happens to you as a kid, somehow something takes place that it, your mind puts it in a box until you're able to resolve it or come back to it and deal with it later on. It was in a box for a long time. Did you have to go to therapy then? Did that help? Yeah, so in the whole path of destruction that happened throughout my youth, um, I had an array of losses. I also turned to drugs and alcohol. It was when I went into rehab that I decided to, but it popped out through, during therapy. 
So that's when I started to first disclose it, and it was not a good time for me. I guess that's that's something that's incredibly hard to put a lid on. Do you feel like you've ever had closure on that? No, never. Nobody knew about it. I tried to confront Brother about it, um, and um, it was a taboo subject. He would not talk about it. He came up with some excuse of religion or him not being well and being sick. Uh, He got diagnosed with PTSD and depression and all kinds of stuff, which, by the way, I'm now diagnosed with PTSD and depression because of everything that's happened and all these series of traumatic events. Did you tell any of your other siblings? I don't know how many of you are there, but did you tell any of your other siblings about being gay? Yes. The first one that I came out to was my niece that I grew up with, and um, I was about 14, 14 or so. And I told her, "Um, guess what? I like guys. I really like guys. And uh, she goes, yeah, and I already knew that. You know, because we were like, <laughs> and this was back in the 80s. So um, I was very careful back then uh, who I told because people were still, there was still that stigma, you know, with, with being gay. And also back then was with the uh, HIV and AIDS uh, yeah. epidemic. I'm guessing the 1980s in New York wasn't a great time to come out, particularly no. with the AIDS epidemic. No, it really, it really wasn't. But there was the extremes of everything, mm-hmm. you know. So we had that leather culture. We had all kinds of stuff going on. It gave a lot of uh, kids during that at that time different opportunities or different different things to do mm-hmm. in a, in the city. So did you embrace it? Because there's a lot of there's a big gay scene in in Manhattan, right? I did everything. Yeah. <laughs> I did everything. Yeah. I had leather this, leather that. There was a big cowboy scene with the cowboy hats oh, wow. and, the, and the cowboy boots. I did that as well. There was a punk rock uh, thing going on, so I spiked my hair up and colored it as well. And this was, I guess, the beginning stages of the Vogue things that was that was starting, the houses of extravaganza and so forth. So I was in the midst of all this. Also, um, there were a few iconic figures still around from the Stonewall days. So uh, there was one called uh, Marsha. Marsha P. Johnson. Johnson, yes. yes. So I remember. You met her? Yes. Uh, so I'm walking down the street on Christopher Street as a young little 14-year-old because, uh, you know, that's, that's what happened. And uh, she would say, uh, you're out here again, little boy. You know? <laughs> she goes, where, where, are you, where are you going to school? Aren't you supposed to be in school? And she, I said, no, you know, whatever. She would reach into her pocket and give me a dollar. She said, go get, you, go get you a coffee or something to drink. And she did that often, every time I would go down. And this was, again, back in the 80s, I was about 14 or so. so she was an absolute legend. She is an absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah, it was her. Uh, there was another person named Flo that um, was like Marsha, and she was she was iconic as well. So, did you come out to the rest of your family too? Any of your other siblings? Or? After I was older, um, I I did. I was in my twenties. I was actually twenty five or six. I purchased a home when I was twenty eight. I took the liberty of saying, hey, everyone, everybody come over, have a barbecue and everything. And um, I kind of made it official, official, where I, was, I had a partner. This is my partner. This is who I am. This is what it is. And I had that platform, you know, from which I could stand proudly and say, I'm gay. So You had a coming out party? 
I guess you could say. Barbecue. <laughs> Barbecue, sausages, anyone? <laughs> this is a first. I've interviewed a lot of people. I've never heard anyone having a coming out barbecue, yeah. but I like the idea of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's on my terms. You tell me just how much hot sauce you want on everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everyone was pretty cool. Um, yeah, because I took everybody on like individually, kind of. You know, it was like, okay, this is what I, where I'm at, you know, and this is my life. This is me. But, but those ages between 13 and 25, I'm guessing you went through the mill a bit because, I mean, you were essentially thrown out and had to fend for yourself, really. I mean, yeah. You lived with a sister, but then you ended up back in Manhattan, obviously. Those were the years where I started experimenting with drugs and I acted out sexually, I acted out with drugs. I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I needed to maintain a drug habit, which I had just gotten into, and I would go to work every single day. I started working from the age of 13, you know, forcefully because I got thrown out and I didn't have any income, but officially at the age of 16, I was working full time. So I never stopped working. I had a good 30 year run of working. So, so what do you do for a living? What do you do? I'm, I'm retired right now, forcefully, um, but uh, I'm a door control specialist, so I was a glorified, high-paid mechanic that fixed doors. Okay. Yeah. That was what I did for close to 30 years. Yeah. So you obviously came out to some of your family and your friends, but did you ever come out at work as well, professionally? You know, that's, that's a good question. Because I was a mechanic, the environment that I was in did not lean towards having that having that gay employee that did the same kind of work that everyone else did that the rest of the guys did which were heterosexual I'm assuming it was not a good environment to say that you're gay and to partner up with somebody and do work and have them be comfortable with that so there was a lot of prejudices and biases and uh, stigmas associated with people that were gay so you never came out to an employer or a colleague no, um, it was it was very hard. I, I think I may have disclosed to one or two, and that was not a bad decision, but it was an awful uh, situation that took place afterwards because now I was outed in the company. I was treated differently. It was not a good environment. And that's so difficult when you, you mean, you're at work at least eight hours a day, aren't you? And to hide who you really are for that long, it's got to be detrimental, right? Yeah, it, it absolutely is, um, especially, you know, you try to deal with it as best as possible, but when you have or when you hear of situations that the bosses are marking you and making fun of you and uh, everybody's calling you all kinds of derogatory names and, you know, oh, the faggot that works here, oh, the cocksucker, you know, just name it. You know, I was, I was called everything in the book. You didn't see it face to face when I showed up to work. It was never a, a cocksucker. It was a cocksucker a sucker as soon as I turned my back. Of course. Yeah. So, so you only found out about it retrospectively. Yeah. yeah, as soon as I walked out the door. Kind of makes you realise, doesn't it, sometimes when, you know, gay people do sometimes put themselves in stereotypical gay book of jobs, one of my friends calls it, you mm. know. A lot of gay people do end up in the theatre or end up in entertainment or working cabin crew or being a hairdresser. And it's a stereotype, but you kind of think, well, there's probably a reason for that. Because some environments are easy to come out at work, aren't they? Yeah, uh, um, certainly, but not not in the industry that I was in because it's, it's always like this macho kind of guy who's outdoor in all kinds of weathers, handling doors and being a mechanic and dealing with tools and all that. So it, it didn't afford for gays to to integrate into that field because of the 
the physical labor that was involved, you know. So it was it was kind of difficult to also find other people that were gay within the industry because it, it wasn't a shared environment. The thing is, they will be there, won't they? Yeah, you know? well, you know, let me be the first one to say I was gay and I was doing it and a lot of people didn't even know. But you've had a good career and have you had successful, happy relationships as well? I believe in long-term relationships. So I was in a 25-year relationship that was part of the series of losses, and that was one of my last losses. So that didn't end pretty well. So currently single and looking... No. No? no. I'm in a six-year relationship, going on seven. I'm very happy. His name is um, Albert Rodriguez. He's a wonderful guy. I love him dearly. I'm six year in, and um, we're happy. Would you uh, be considering marriage and wedding bells and all that sort of stuff? You know, it's dingling, dangling and <laughs> all around. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Definitely be something to consider. And if I were to consider it, it would probably be with him. Wow. Okay. Mm. So, if you were to be able to speak to your 13-year-old self again, what would you say? What advice? Because you obviously you faced a lot of dark stuff in your life. That would be very difficult to say right now. Um, but you're happy now. You've had you've, you've had some really good years and I some guess, good relationships. Yeah, I guess I would tell I would tell me not to worry. Get better. What about if you were to speak to just other kids on the streets, maybe growing up in the Bronx where we're sat now? Would you have any advice in terms of coming out as LGB or even to? Um, yeah, you know, there's so many things I would love to say. One is be yourself, be true to you, be honest, and let people know if you're comfortable with doing that. But let people know when you do that you are comfortable being you. Yeah, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. I came out to who I came out to, and um, I was, and I'm fine. I'm fine. It didn't matter. You're better than fine. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of good-looking, too. (laughs) (laughs) I should have mentioned that. (laughs) A big thank you to Jose for really opening up and speaking to us here at Coming Out Stories. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time round, you'll hear from talented singer-songwriter Katie Brooks. She's from Bristol originally, but grew up in London in a religious cult that was actually based in Arizona in the USA. The cult had huge problems with the fact that she dressed in boys' clothes growing up. What a message to give a child. If I'm who I am, and I am expressing that in the most beautiful, natural form and I'm just going with it, I'm a free child, that I'm disgusting, I'm wrong, I should be ashamed, and so should my mother. If I toe the line and I do what you want me to do and I, and I fit into societal norms, then, then I'm a good girl and I'm acceptable.